0: Hello. Good morning from Teenage Takes. Today we will be discussing about authority. To do so, we interview some authority figures here on campus. First is here, Mr. First is Mr. Jones. Here we go. Uh,
1: for me, if I can have eighty percent of our community happy or at least understand, mm-hmm. then I've done my job. Um, because ten percent are probably not going to be happy with anything,
0: yeah.
1: um, <laughs> and ten percent and the other ten percent. Um, may fall in line where there you can never do enough and so i always try to try to stick around that 80 percent and um and if we get there which is lofty it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely a lofty goal um but if we're hovering in that percentage then i think we're in a really really great place as a school
2: yeah and i think that's definitely realistic because you're not going to please everyone but you want to please as many people as you can so
3: so our final question since we're wrapping up on time how do you think like teenage rebellion or just the teenage experience has changed since you were a teenager
1: i would contend that it hasn't changed at all
2: really i would
1: i would say that the methods in which change um is is occurring Mm -hmm. is definitely different um you know we can talk about um, oftentimes when you think of teenagers and rebellion, you think of drugs and alcohol mm-hmm, as sort mm-hmm, of yeah. um, those escapes for teenagers. Um, that hasn't changed in probably a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the only thing that I can can contend as we think about this compared to when I was a teenager, which mm-hmm. by the way wasn't that long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we know. Um, we know that. Don't worry. <laughs> so. Um, is that the avenues in which those things can happen have changed. Technology has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my senior year, I was so pumped to finally get a flip phone as a <laughs> cell phone. Like, this was 2004, yeah. not that long ago. Um, so I I would just contend that technology has made um, opportunities a little bit different mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Um, than when I was growing up. And, but I think this this is a conversation that has been existing for plenty of time yes. and, it'll and, keep so, and it will continue to exist um, because there is no perfect solution and I think um, while your four years of college are incredibly valuable um, your, your high school years for growth are unmatched mm-hmm. um, you go from a 14 or 15 year old to an 18 or 19 year old and um, and your way of thinking will change profoundly. And, and your actions and your likes and your dislikes will all change so much um, that this will be a constant conversation um, for many, many years mm-hmm. to come yeah. until some geniuses put together a formula to figure it all out.
2: <laughs> Probably <Yeah>. won't happen. <laughs> but
1: I, I, I am not that optimistic, so
2: <laughs> like, it will I think be a constant conversation. I completely agree with that. I think that there is... Um, like it, there's always been rebellion in teenagers, and there is going to be rebellion in teenagers. But I think there's maybe some aspects which have, like I'm gotten controlled. Like in your, I feel like bullying, like for obviously easy for us to say, but I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of like, not it's kind of died down. I think it's in some different. Aspects. I
3: don't think it's the same. I think you can say like it's not as like slamming kids into lockers yeah. and giving them wedgies, but like cyber bullying, <laughs> yeah, like that's... that is like a whole new added. Like I think what. Mr. Jones, not trying to speak for you, but what you're saying is that the technology piece kind of adds, like, a different... So, like, yeah, like, maybe the kind of typical high school 80s movie bullying is not what we're seeing, but we're seeing a bit more of um, uh, bullying and other, like, kind of bad behaviors aided by technology. It could be even worse, aided by technology.
2: Yeah, it's different, like you said. Mm -hmm. I think think it's different.
1: Yeah, and I I think for us... um, you know again we are in a small yeah. protected environment yeah. where um there's a lot of hands-on there is a lot of discussion that um sits around how we treat each other and i think that's paramount in these places because mm-hmm. you can't have trust if you have these constant issues of of how we treat each other and yeah. bullying mm-hmm. and all of those things it, it that will tear at communities and so we're sheltered by that a little bit if you go yeah. to a um a public school like my local public school had a thousand kids and that's a solid sized school. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have some schools that have up to 4,000 mm-hmm. kids, 6,000 kids. kids. Yeah exactly and you know you may have th- uh, one teacher overseeing 30 kids yeah. and and the management of that is impossible yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we're certainly protected within our walls um, and that's why I think for our programming aspects of it uh as well and why i know not all students necessarily love uh where programs and speakers go uh when they visit here it's to educate you on the on the world that exists outside these walls yes
0: um
1: and a reminder that uh your opportunities here uh, grant you a certain privilege and access and recognition to um the greater issues that exist within our world and it's important that um you know we go go forth when we depart here um, and as it says in the school mission you know live a life of service um, to others Mm -hmm. and it's I think that's incredibly important that we take the the lessons learned and the values that we've gained from this SG education and independent school education to make this world a better place.
2: And do you think we as students who go to boarding school not just SG but boarding school in general that we get a little bit of extra because you said you know how you grow a lot in high school and you become a completely different person regardless, but do you think us being away from home as boarders maybe get a little bit more growth and maturity going to boarding school than a day school student?
1: Oh, I think there's no question that's absolutely true. Um, I often tell families, through the, when I, I used to work in admissions as well, mm-hmm. um, through the process is that uh, your child has an opportunity to be independent, um, But with a tight-knit community around that child Mm -hmm. to ensure that if they go off the tracks one way or the other um that we can pick them back up and 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 get them in line but yeah of course you you know you're getting your you're living college um but with just a little bit more support and undoubtedly um, there is value in that and so i think on a large scale yes that is true you're always going to have some small stories of kids who are at day schools or public schools who um are gonna develop a level of independence that is unmatched that uh, by this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that those are, are tend to be unique situations. Yeah. Um, and that living this life um, definitely allows that opportunity for independence.
3: I agree. Um, do you find you are kind of walking a line between being like a parental figure and being a faculty member and a dean of students or not that often?
1: Uh, absolutely. I think um, faculty members in boarding schools in particular undertake one of the greatest challenges um, in any profession, that you have to be um, a hybrid of so many of these things. You have to be a, a teacher, a coach, a dorm parent. You have to be a friend. You have to be a parent. Sometimes you have to be a disciplinarian. Um, all of those things sort of combine into one. and. Uh, there's a great challenge in that, and so um, for me, I always grew up with the understanding that boarding schools were much more about relationships, and and I've always uh, carried that in with my profession. So,
3: thank you, Mr. Jones. And now here's the interview clip from Mr. McGinnis.
4: I think it's <clears throat> I think it's natural mm-hmm. in uh, maturation that as students become older, they Uh, exert their independence so I don't necessarily say that that's rebellious but they're trying to find themselves and make their own wishes desires thoughts known so there is a natural progression of the brain that makes that independence kind of like what Ali Maharn talked about yesterday and the independence that you will become more independent as you grow
2: I think that's definitely true and you think that that sort of like students thinking that they have independence sort of makes them believe that like I have independence now like that, that adults are putting trust in them, then that means that they kind of feel like they can get away with more things or
4: do. And, and I don't want to say get away with more things, but it does give them a greater confidence in themselves that mm-hmm. what they're doing is right, and that may be from little things. Um, you know, Independence in ninth grade at St. George's School means we take your phone, you have study hall, mm-hmm. the, the prefects are walking around checking. Once you become 10th, 11th, 12th grade, now we have quiet hours. So we're Mm -hmm. trusting that you're going to do your work. You have the independence of choosing when you want to do it. We still expect you to do it and you still know that you have to do it. Mm -hmm. So choosing that you have this independence, and again, I don't like necessarily rebellion, you may then extrapolate that further and say, well, I don't like this rule. I don't think we really need to come down at 10 o'clock and check in. So I'm just not going to do it. there are structures in the school to try to keep you to follow the rules of the school but you may question them more once you think that rule is not uh, something I agree with. Right.
0: Do you think that um, like having that structure for the younger kids like the ninth graders for example like taking the phone away during study hall and like making sure they're asleep by 11 I think that's a rule too right? Um, do you think that is helpful to them or?
4: I and of course the rules are made for the mean or the average mm-hmm. student uh, for the average ninth grade boy absolutely if we did not take their phone away from them if we did not make them go to bed and we told them they had quiet hours they would get not all of them some of them would get on their <laughs> computer play games until three o'clock in the morning yeah. never get up never make it to class be asleep so they haven't their brain hasn't matured enough that they're able to make these conscious choices of I need to get my sleep so that I can pay attention in class and do well. As we get older and older, we don't need as much as that structure. We're able to do that ourselves. so for the ninth graders, I think it's absolutely true. For some of the tenth and eleventh and twelfth graders, it's yeah, I was going to say there, there's some kids in my grade that and older yeah. that still do that. Having said that, <laughs> in the spring of senior year, there's a lot of seniors that said, "Yeah, I'm just ready to get out of here," and I'll, and and they say it in a negative way. And what I say is, "Well, that means we've done our job and you've done your job. You have matured to the fact that you don't need to be told." that you need to be in your room at 11 o'clock. You don't need to be told. You are now able to make those decisions for yourself. So it's not, it's literally, they've grown out of the structure, they'll now go to college where the structure is much looser and the dependence is on them to do what needs to be right.
0: I just wanted to ask that question because I wasn't here in ninth grade. Yeah, I neither, know, like... yeah neither one
4: of us were. Well, what and 10th graders have to be in their room at 11 with mm-hmm. lights out, but 11th and 12th graders don't. Should we make 10th graders turn their lights out at 11? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of
2: like, I think the sort of boarding school, um, like, perspective is that you kind of have to, like, earn things as you get older. You know, earn, like, not getting taken your phone away or, like, earn those certain privileges, I guess you could call them.
4: Yeah, and again, those privileges come with the maturation of the student, Mm -hmm. their independence, not rebellion, but their ability to monitor their own behavior Mm -hmm. so that they can make the right choices. Yeah.
0: Um... Do you think that the reason why kids at boarding school, what do you think is the reason that kids at boarding school do drugs or
4: alcohol? And I wouldn't limit it to boarding school yeah. kids Just in kids, school in kids in general. Kids in general, yeah. Some is boredom. Some is going along with the crowd. Um, it's definitely true that as kids start to mature and they get this independence, mm-hmm. that the part of their brain that controls their decision-making in a risk-reward fashion – Hasn't completely gone and uh, developed, and so where I may say, "Hey, I want to go 120 miles an hour down the highway in my new car," I might say, "Ah, oh, I got a wife, I got kids, if I get a you know a DUI or if I if I get this speeding ticket, I don't want to do it, and I say it's not worth it." Eighteen-year-old uh, may say, "No, I got this new car, I can do 130. I'm going to do 120, and and it's a riskier decision." Having said that, he may do it at 9 o'clock on Tuesday on Route 24. There's no cars away. It's not raining. So even though he makes what I would say is a riskier decision than me, it doesn't mean he hasn't thought it out. It's just he used the same variables that I had and decided it's worth going 120 miles an hour so I can see what it's like, vice these other things. So they just weigh the pros and cons a little differently.
0: It's like acting on impulse almost. No, and
4: I don't want to say impulse, because that's a different thing. If I decide I'm going to do it and I'm going to wait for a clear night when there's no police around, no other cars on the road, that's not impulsive. I've rationally thought this out, that I'm going to take this risk. It's just the answer he came to in that equation is, it's worth trying to go 120 miles an hour where I'm gonna say it's not worth the ticket.
2: So you, he, like, the, you just, or they just chose to do it rather than not doing it, even right. though thinking out the same things. Even though all the same things yeah, we thought about. the consequences. And they just say, like
4: no, that. it's worth it because yeah. it's gonna be really cool yeah. and I wanna okay. see what it's like.
0: So how do you think that we could better build trust between students and faculty?
4: I think we're doing a good job right now, I think we're going in the right direction. Uh, it boils down I think very simply if we respect the students, the students will respect us. That includes the rules that we make, the way that we enforce them, um, the way that we speak to the students, the way the students speak to us, and again the way, and I don't like to use the word punished, but the way we respond to students that don't follow the rules. Um, if everyone's following the rules and one kid's not following the rules, let's say it's being in class at 830 and everyone's there at 8.30 except one kid's always late. He's always there at 8.40. And the teacher never says anything to him. What are the other kids going to do? They're, They're going to follow them. They're going to say, okay, yeah. I'm going to come late too because yeah. what's the big deal? So the responsibility for the teacher is to address that kid, you know, give him a late do give him detention, whatever it takes so that he can get back to getting there at 8.30 because if the class is starting at 8.40, well, we've lost 10 minutes of instruction time. So to make everyone come there and to reinforce to the kids that are doing the right thing, you, the people that aren't need to be addressed. You can't just let that go. And so I think it's important that all the rules are followed by all the students as best we can.
2: Yeah, and I think there's that sort of fine line between respect and also having that relationship with the students in which you do care about them and like I think it's really important for a teacher to sort of show the fact that if a student ever needs to talk about something or ever needs their support, that they have it from that teacher, you know? I think that's sort of important for, to have that support is important for students, I think.
4: And I understand different students go through different things at different times, and there are times that you might need to be late to class, whether something's going on at home and you're talking to your parent mm-hmm. and you just can't hang up the phone because it's a, you know, very emotional conversation or something like that. I think what the students a lot of times don't, Or some students don't realize is if they can't complete an assignment if they're not prepared for a test if there's a reasonable reasonable reason if there's a rational reason that something like that happened um, I've seen like nine out of ten times if not ten out of ten times if they just talk to their teacher and say hey here's what happened can I get an extension now, you can't do that for every single paper. Yeah. and You know, all of a sudden you're crying wolf now, it's not that important. Yeah. But if a student who's always there on time is late one time and they said, you know, my grandfather just died and I was talking to my mom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know any teacher is gonna say, I don't care, you're late, boom.
0: Yeah, you would. Yeah. So
4: that having the confidence to talk to the teacher about issues or problems that you're having that may be preventing you from Doing your homework, being prepared for a test, being at class on time, missing an assembly—if you have a good reason about that, talk to the—you know—I think Mr. Jones does a good job when he gives out miscommitments, commitments. Come talk to me, and if you can convince me that the reason you missed was an important meeting, then that's fine. Yeah, he always Or like, to if to um,
2: to my
0: like sometimes in chapel, I know my the person that checks me in sometimes misses me, like multiple times, and I'll go in and I'll talk to him, and he'll just ask me one question, like, oh, what was who spoke and what they speak about and you could you tell him and he could either be like oh you heard from a friend or he could trust you and i'd say 10 times out of 10 he trusts you so
4: yeah he just wants to make sure that we're yeah and making sure you're there is because we we think it's important as a community that you're there but it also reinforces for all the kids that did go that yeah we want everyone to go again if we didn't if we didn't take attendance at some things uh chapel would be one then one kid won't go. The next time it's 10 kids, then it's 100 kids, and then all of a sudden it's uh, Chaplain Kirby and three faculty members saying a prayer.
0: I found it so interesting how Mr. Jones talked about authority being a student and looking up to him every day. Like, don't you, Claire?
3: Yeah, um, I found it um, really interesting how he works a lot harder than I realized to um, make sure he balances the like authoritarian aspect and being kind of a friend to students um, and a dorm parent as well.
2: I thought it was interesting seeing the two perspectives of two people who hold the same jobs, but they actually had, you know, the, the, their answers were along the same lines, but they were different. And it was interesting seeing the different, showing how people are different despite having the same job. They could have completely different views on certain things. I thought that was interesting to hear the two sides.
3: What do you think was the biggest difference between the approach of Mr. Jones and Mr. McGinnis? Patrice, you were in both interviews. What do you
2: think? Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, their views were similar, um, but I think like their their answers were just I don't. I don't Mr.
0: McGinnis say. treats his like his kids in his dorm as he would treat his actual like children that he has. So, like the example he gave was. And if he asks a kid to turn out his lights at well lights out is supposed to be at 11 and say the kid's lights is on at 11:05, he'll come in and he'll tell him, can you uh, please turn out your lights? And he'll give him like five minutes to do it. If he comes back say five ten minutes later and the light is still on, then he'll give the kid an infraction. Yeah. He never gives the kid an
2: infraction like right away. He always
0: gives him a chance yeah. to
2: correct. Yeah. Him. So. While you were saying that, I had a chance to put my thoughts into words, and what, I, what I'm trying to say was that they they had very similar perspectives, but they focused on different things. It seemed like they had different priorities. Like I felt like our talk with when Claire and I spoke with Mr. Jones, it seemed to be that he really wanted to put the have a strong relationship with the students yeah. and not come across as a bad guy. I feel like that he seemed to be very focused on that. Um, whereas Mr. McGinnis seemed to be focused on maybe some other things. Like, what, what would you think, Leo?
0: Mr. McGinnis is focused more on, like, I would say the safety of the children. Yeah. And, like, he doesn't necessarily want to be everybody's friend. Like, he doesn't, he obviously wants to have relationships with students, but if he has to enforce a couple of rules to kids, like small rules, to get to uh, get rid of like the big mistakes that a kid will make, because he said that if he lets a kid slide with a small rule, it could lead it could make the kid feel like oh I could get away with, for example, drinking a little bit of alcohol on a Saturday night, and then all of a sudden he gets and he gets caught doing that, and then he thinks Mr. McGinnis will bail him out because he let him slide with that small thing. Yeah. So Mr. McGinnis yeah. is very big on like the small rules; he doesn't let that stuff slide.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting seeing how they have the same um, role or the same job at different roles.
3: Yeah, I think um, Mr. Jones, I think it might have to do with that he's younger, and he said that he did grow up in a boarding school environment and that um, he just, he was like a faculty kid, and he's kind of seen how to do the job well and how to, how some people fit like fail in some aspects, but just I think we didn't really get into talking about his stance on rules, but we got into how he feels that he wants the job to be Um, more, like, friendly, and for people to feel like they can come to the Dean's, like, not just because they're in trouble, but maybe the Dean's just want to check up on them and just see how they're doing, like, in their life at St. George's, and that there's a lot of misconceptions with, you know, students in our school that the Dean's office is a bad place to be, and he would like to, he'd like to change that, so.
2: Yeah, and, like, to add on your point a little bit, they both have, like, they both come from different backgrounds. Like, I feel like Mr. Jones, like, his vocation was to, like, work in a boarding school. Like, that's just been his life, his whole life, and, like, he, he loves it, you know? And, like, having someone who is very, like, oh, like, an expert on teenagers in boarding schools and compared to someone who is in the military, those two perspectives are, or those two different approaches are interesting to, to think and look about, to think about, and look at. I mean, look at authority
0: figures. It, it could be, like, a dean. It could be, like, a judge. And they always looked at it as the bad guys. So I find it very interesting, like, how... Mr. Jones specifically, like, dances on that line, he doesn't want to be the bad guy anymore, he wants to be like, good someone you can talk to, but still enforce the rules, so which
2: can't be easy. Exactly, and like, I, I don't know Mr. McGinnis that well, I mean, I've spoken to him a few times, I know Mr. Jones pretty well because he's my dorm parent, but it was nice, I think a lot of students who don't have a reason to speak to them do sort of have that image in their head of, oh my god, you know, it's the dean, he's coming, like, I better make sure I have my tie on or whatever. It was nice seeing, having a normal conversation with them and seeing that they're just completely normal people that you shouldn't be afraid of, you know? That was nice.
3: Mr. Jones emphasized, like, I'm a person and that he talked about how it's really hard, you know, not only are you making decisions for, you know, the students, um, he also has to deal with alumni and parents and grandparents and it's just a, and, like, staff, so it can get to be, like, a really messy job. And he says that... Sometimes, you know, they will make mistakes, but his goal is to have, you know, 80% of the student population pleased or either just kind of neutral about what's going on. And, you know, he says you can't all, you can't please everyone, but he always strives to keep that um, 80% like number like in mind in hopes that he will um, be pleasing the majority. So, yeah, I think it was interesting what Mr. McGinnis was talking about, like, how he doesn't have to be best friends with all the students, because I think it's a really fine line between, like, being friends with the students and, at the same time, being an authority figure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a dynamic that we see in the dorms, too, with the prefects. Like, all the prefects want to be, like, liked by the younger kids, I guess, but at the same time, you're a figure of authority. Yeah. And, like, you can't be too close with the younger... Like, you can be close with them, but not, like, to the point where, like, The younger kids think they can get away with stuff if you're on duty for sure I mean yeah I I was Michael you've been a prefect as well and I am too it it can it can get difficult um trying to separate that line especially being like going from the freshman dorm where they weren't you know they were a lot younger than you than to upperclassmen dorms where some of them are your peers um in your own grade it can get tricky so I guess it was kind of nice to hear from these two deans and like under, like at least for me, um, relate to their experience, and so it doesn't seem so distant um, to what I'm going through in the dorm as well.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm like, we chose this topic of authority because it's like prominent in, in everything in life. Like you, we saw it through literature specifically because there's always like a figure of authority within um, literature. it's always like teenagers rebellion or such. So like we just brought that in our own worlds and. So looked under it, um, and like St. George specifically, to see how the deans feel about authority. since like, we want to see, see things from their perspective
3: as well. Yeah, so. Thank you for tuning in to um, this uh, month's episode of Teenage Takes, I hope you enjoyed. Um, we'll see you soon.